You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 125, and we are going to be talking about the 1990 film Mermaids. If you have a subscription to Max, formerly known as HBO Max, you will be able to watch it for no extra charge. It stars Cher, Bob Hoskins, Winona Ryder, Christina Ritchie, Michael Schuffling, Caroline McWilliams, or as we as most people over the age of what, like 45, the secretary from Benson. Wow, yes. The director is Richard Benjamin, who I recognized from, I guess, a Disney film or something. He looked very familiar, but he is known for directing the 1982 My Favorite Year, 1986's My Favorite, The Money Pit, and 1988's My Stepmother is an Alien. Do you remember that movie? Uh, Now that you bring it up, I do remember that movie. This film was written by novelist Patty Dan and June Roberts. June did the 2001 All the Queen's Men. If that sounds familiar. The DP was Howard Atherton, who also did 1995's Bad Boys, 1989's Black Rain, and 1998's Deep Rising. I see like a water theme there. Him and his thing with water. (laughs) Let's go down to the synopsis. So the synopsis for this film is an unconventional single mother relocates with her two daughters to a small Massachusetts town in 1963, where a number of events and relationships both challenge and strengthen their familial bonds. I've got two taglines for you. One is, this is our mother. Pray for us. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I think that captures the, the humor of the film and the whole problem of the mm-hmm. film. And subtly kind of the pray for us because... Mm-hmm. Her Catholicism. Charlotte is, yeah, obsessed with Catholicism. Mom is many things. Normal isn't one of them. That is good, but not as good as pray oh, for us. You like I the think first the first one. one, yeah. This one had a lot of trouble... Let me just read this bit of trivia from, let me read this bit of trivia from IMDb because I think it'll encapsulate and kind of let us know. Producers initially engaged Swedish director Lars Hallström to direct Mermaids as his English language feature debut, but he left the project to direct Once Around from 91. Then they hired Frank Oz as a replacement, but he also abandoned the project after clashing with Cher and Winona Ryder. And so then ultimately they hired Richard Benjamin to direct the project. So Hallstrom apparently wanted, and Oz wanted it to be the film to have a darker tone and including that Charlotte would commit suicide. Whoa. I know. I'm glad Richard Benjamin got his hands on it. Yeah, keep Winona in the film. Yeah. And then just as a little addendum, Emily Lloyd, who I, did I look her up? She was originally cast to play Charlotte and they had already even started shooting some scenes. 
and Cher complained that the fair-haired Lloyd could not possibly look like her daughter, and she was replaced by Winona Ryder. So Lloyd went on to sue Orion Pictures and Mermaid Productions, and they reached a settlement on July 30th, 1991, the second day on the second day of trial, and Lloyd received $435,000 and 2.5% of the film's profits. Wow, Lloyd did well. I know. But, uh, they couldn't just dye her hair? Right? <laughs> like, I, 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 yeah, sure sounds like a handful. Well, they all kind of did a, a little bit, I guess, but I mean, but that kind of, they should have at least said, okay, well, then let's dye her hair. Yeah, and that seems like something that would have come up uh, in pre-production. All right, so the film is set in 1963. The first scene is Charlotte and Kate, I think. Kate is a Christina Ricci character. Charlotte and Kate are watching TV, and it's a show about nuns, just singing nuns. And Charlotte has clearly watched the show before because she's singing right along with them. And then we cut to Cher, their mother, who's getting dressed, all dressed up and glammed, singing Fever. And it sets up, it's a fun line because it tells us a lot about the characters. Mrs. Flax, that's how she's credited, Cher's character. Yes. Although we do hear a first name in the film, I forget what it was. But how do I look? And Charlotte says, like a woman about to go forth in sin. Mm Mm-hmm. So clever turn of phrase. It shows us that Charlotte is is a quick thinking, quick witted gal who also is not so keen about her mom's wandering eye. Well, not only wandering eye, but kind of just she's a she's a rambling woman. Yeah, she At is. one point, Charlotte says, "We've moved eighteen times. It's easier to see the signs." And then we watch her watch. Mrs. Flax go through some motions that she's familiar with and she knows that they're going to move again and she's not looking forward to it. There's just an absolutely hilarious line where Mrs. Flax is in a car with her current beau and he says, honey, she's not just another woman. She's my wife. Right. And that shows us kind of who Mrs. Flax was. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of times she would get involved with her boss, it seemed. Yeah. Yeah. She And she was kind of the town tramp and then she boogied. Yeah. And I felt bad for Charlotte because as a teenager, especially she was probably like what freshman or. They said in dialogue she's 15. Yeah, I thought she was pretty young. So it's so hard to just keep bouncing schools, especially in high school. I mean, it just, I, fe- I did feel bad for Charlotte having Mrs. Flax as a mom because they just, they obviously, they were at odds because Charlotte was just so much into like Catholicism and religion and ritual. But yet I felt bad because she was like tortured because she... She had what she called impure thoughts that I would call normal teenage thoughts. <laughs> well, she was obsessed with nuns, not just Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a reaction to her mother's mm-hmm. sluttiness, right? Yes. She was going... She went the other direction. The other direction. Yeah. However, her lower regions had a mind of their own. <laughs> well, I do, I, they just, they were normal. That's a normal... Absolutely, yes. You're coming into your sexuality. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to understand these now new urges that you have that you didn't have maybe like three years ago. Right, right. Yeah, but it's extra conflictory because 
your mom has gotten you into, a, like, has caused a lot of cost and turmoil for, for following her urges, right? Right. So it's, it's difficult for the young Charlotte. And so, like, normal mothers and daughters, they clash, but even more so because of Charlotte's complete kind of going the other way. And, and I thought it was good when she said, I feel like sometimes you're the child and I'm the grown up. And I think a lot of kids from the, I didn't, I wouldn't think of it as the sixties, but definitely I've heard a lot of people our age. So I would say seventies and eighties just talked about parents kind of just not being there and, and what that, that makes you feel like nobody cares what I'm doing. So therefore like I've got to step up and kind of run the show. I know very well the feeling of being the child who has to take over. Right. Right. And, and we see with the little sister, Kate, right. They obviously have a relationship where Charlotte, is is kind of the parent for the younger. And, and I knew a girl when I was in high school, it was the same thing. Her little brother was like five or six and the parents were going through a divorce. So she was basically in charge of the little brother. And I don't think that's very fair to, to do to a child, right? And now I have to say though, in Mrs. Flack's defense, mm-hmm. she comes up with marshmallow kebabs. <laughs> she, she can't cook anything. Everything is an hors d'oeuvre. So she kebabs everything. And I have to say that that's a fantastic idea. I need to put some thought into what would constitute the different, other than marshmallows, what would go on a marshmallow I kebab. I thought she put fruit with it. Uh, well, you know, I'm guessing a Pinterest or Etsy probably has it was, some. <laughs> Remember the ambrosia salad that was like fruit and marshmallows? And I think she just did a kebab form and just left out the Cool Whip. Yeah, uh, perhaps the... the, um, the like uh, set dressing people, the, the art department could tell me what was the actual ingredients, but I think better the internet probably has yeah. some ideas, but the, so it, it shows kind of though the fact that she feeds her kids, basically what Kate would want to eat that she is. I don't even think she's trying to be a friend. She is a child. She's basically emotionally and intellectually as old as Kate. What is it? She's all id or whatever. What's the one? That's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think is is a hundred percent id. Just yeah. yeah, yeah. And poor Charlotte, because Mrs. Flax. Well, Mrs. Flax maybe tried to have the sex talk with her, but I could see Charlotte just rebuking her, kind of like I don't want to hear it from you. That when she kisses Joe, which we'll talk about Joe in a minute, she thinks she's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I'm going to say uh, there is a line of dialogue I made a note of when Mrs. Flex says near the end of the film, well, I guess it's a little too late for our birds and bees talk. So I don't think so she, she actually didn't. had talked to her. Okay. And But I think I would buy that it was because Charlotte wanted no part of that. Right. And she probably knew that. But also when you watch your kid be so obsessed with like the nuns and Catholicism, you're probably like, I don't have to worry about her then. Right. You know. And it was interesting because they didn't go into it too much, but they established that the Flaxes were Jews. So that would also be a little hard if if your child was, you know, going a different direction culturally. That makes sense then when she, because I thought it was funny, she goes into the bathroom to talk to her mom finally. And it's great 
setup with the set is Mrs. Flax is in the tub. Yeah. And so they have the curtain and the way that the curtain is falling, Charlotte's sitting on the toilet. And so the curtain falls between them and it very much mimics a confessional. Yeah, they did that. And so when she confesses, she says, I think I'm pregnant with the next Jewish Catholic Messiah. (laughs) (laughs) So Mrs. Flax does one thing, right? She meets Lou Lansky played by Bob Hoskins. And he is just, I think if we all had to have a stepdad, he would be the guy that you would hope to have. You know, he has the, some good characteristics. He cares for the girls. He cares for Mrs. Flax a lot and he wants to marry her and he is a painter. And so he does a mural for Kate cause she's obsessed with water and so he creates this whole ocean mural in in a bedroom. And it's just, it's lovely. A bedroom in his house. Right. So he very much wants to settle down with the Flax girls, basically. Right. Yeah, he is, he is pretty wonderful. I think it's awesome, but it was a little, uh, it caught my eye how confident he was. So nothing against Mr. Hoskins. He's a fine fellow, but he's shorter and hairier than, than Cher. And he plays that character like he's enchanted with Mrs. Flax, but he thinks he's got a shot. And that I thought was amazing that I feel like today, if we did that, they would write him as being neurotic and anxious and, oh, well, you would never be interested in me. I'm older, I'm shorter. But he played it like... Like he was not doing her a favor, but there's a line I love there. He's like, I normally trying to get involved with women when the world series is about to start. (laughs) So he, he, you know, he, he, it was like, I have a life and I like you in it, but he's not, you know, he, he, he treated her as an equal and there's a, 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 they get into a fight there, uh, at some point and he talks about, us and she thinks he's talking about like the, or something about the girls and he's like no I was talking about us like the relationship and, I, yeah. and so I just I liked his approach to that character of he wasn't apologetic he wasn't begging he was right. like look I'm interested in you but not that much <laughs> right 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 I wonder if because he was they were both like as the story goes, I believe they would have both been in their early forties at least. And so does he kind of have, as you get older and kind of more settled and, and he's like, look, I'm a good catch for all these following reasons. And so take me or leave me kind of, is that where the confidence came from? Yeah, it could be. So speaking though of age, I did look it up. Cher was 41 when they filmed this but her character would have been 30 or 31 because she says to Charlotte, I was your age when I had you. And we Uh, know Charlotte's 15. Okay. Now I don't think Cher looked 30, but uh, it it didn't bump me. It's just, you know, she looked like she could be her mom and she was young and, and and attractive enough Mm -hmm. that it fit the character. And you're right though, but he had a a business, right? He was a small business owner Mm -hmm. and a member of the community. He, had a life there, a much nicer house than they had. I mm-hmm. think he did have things to bring to the table. It was just, I, I just felt like in today's day and age, 
I don't know if we would have written it that way. And I think that's a loss. I like the way they wrote that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a sweet relationship. I was, you were rooting for those two to get together. Right, but definitely he's the hero. Right, right. right. Everybody loves that character. Okay, so <laughs> huh. let's talk about Jake. <laughs> Although that's not his name in this film, yeah. is it? No, he's Joe. (laughs) Joe. He plays Joe. He's Jake from 16 Candles. And I have a whole thing to share with everyone. I guess maybe it will fall under either about the numbers or or maybe when we finish this discussion. But it was one of our pauses. You definitely were bumped, seems mild. Right. By the age difference between Mm -hmm. Jake, Joe, and Charlotte. They, in dialogue, they established that she is 15 and that he is 26. Which is problematic. And sadly, Mrs. Flax isn't even, and probably when we find out his age, Mrs. Flax was in the car or nearby. So she knew. Yeah, she knows. So it's disturbing that she wouldn't shoo him away or discourage Charlotte from lusting after him. Well, I, I think as a parent of a teenager, you can't be particular. Like you, you can't get hung up on who they lust after because it's you know at that age is probably everyone. But you, yeah, you would put a pretty firm foot down because not only is he twenty six, he's basically this side of unemployed. He has a ton of odd jobs in town. There's a little bit of scandal attached to him, we've heard, right? Which turns out is not the case. He he tells Charlotte the, the truth later on. But in town, that would have been the perspective of this guy. He drove this girl away, perhaps to have his baby. And now he just you know, has odd jobs for the nuns. And suddenly he's sniffing around your 15-year-old daughter. Yeah, you load up the shotgun with rock salt. Right, right. So I said, because I, I watched this probably when I was, let's see, 83. Yeah, I probably was about 15. <laughs> so I said from the perspective of a 15-year-old and this handsome guy shows you around, of course you're going to want to hang out with him. Oh, yeah. But it's up to him to then say, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yes. And having been... A 26-year-old, okay, and if I'm going to try to get the exact, but I think I actually was 26 around someone who was probably 12 or 13. Yeah, that's a non-starter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's problematic today. I mean, it's when we watched it, it I, I'm so curious if this was at all mentioned in 1983. Did I so, say 83? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what... 90. Ni- oh, my God. It was 1990. Oh, God. Right. So I, I, so for we 19... Should, we should have known better by then. For 1963, I I could say, okay, that was a, a slightly different time, right? All Jerry right. Lee Lewis. Priscilla Presley, mm-hmm. uh, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean... In 63, it... age of consent for women was maybe 15 in that state, but... So that's interesting. Maybe the filmmakers even had this discussion, but then said, yeah, but in 1963, and they rattled off everybody you just said. It was kind of like, this was done. I mean, sadly. Okay. But 
just because some people did it, do we need to to have it in the film? Now, it, it, that is key to the whole dramatic part at the end of Act Two is she has to get together with Joe. Right. And again, it's like realistic, but it still gives me some ickiness. So there's a film we won't go into that you and I saw in the theater that had a rape scene that really disturbed me. And I think it was historically accurate and certainly happened at that time. I still didn't enjoy you didn't it in my film. didn't need to see it. Yep. Well, I mean, that's tough, though, because I don't believe in whitewashing history. I think we have to acknowledge that. Yeah. Like may- I said, it's. I think it was realistic for the time. Yeah. But it's kind of, whoa. It, it got my attention immediately. It did. it did get your attention. Yeah. Okay. So I loved all of Cher's dresses, the pink polka dotted dress and Winona wears it later. But I loved it that when Winona wore it, well, I should say when Charlotte wore it, it was loose in the hips, which I mm-hmm. thought was perfect because for the most part it fit, but it just showed us that Charlotte wasn't yet a woman, like, you know, especially a woman post childbirth and not that. You know, there was nothing, there's nothing wrong with Cher's physique, but it just, Charlotte wasn't a woman yet. Right. So I noticed that they both had, I, I, I wish I, I could knew the right word for it. So perhaps, you know, costume designer Miriam could call in, but uh, it's like a pencil skirt, but for jeans, they wore jeans in there. They were kind of capri length. Yeah, they were called pedal pushers. Then. Yeah, that's it. Pedal pushers. They're very, a very tight fit on the leg. Yeah. And there was a scene where they were cooking in the kitchen mm-hmm. and you could see they both had very slender builds, but you could see the difference. Cher had hips mm-hmm. and Winona Ryder at that time was 19, I think I looked up and she did not have mm-hmm. those kind of hips. She was mm-hmm. a very young woman. So I think you're right. Great job of the costume department to kind of show us the difference. You know, it highlighted that difference. And in- it, because she's in that scene where she's wearing her mom's dress, she's very much trying to act and embody a woman Right, and she put on, which is period accurate, but like lacy under things, mm-hmm. right? So and teased out her hair like her mom did. Yeah, which is, you know, that's also neat because they kind of fought and didn't necessarily, she didn't want to be like her mom, but then she but did. But then, yeah, if, if I'm going to go get this guy, I have to right. kind of code switch to how my mom. Right. Well, mom is successful at getting guys. Yes. We've established that. That so, is her wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. So I have to put on that uniform. Right. To go woo Joe. Okay, and not to overly focus on that, but if you're a 26-year-old feller in a bell tower and a 15-year-old Winona Ryder starts grinding up on you, maybe you say, okay. Now, from a writing perspective, I, I had a much bigger problem with the way they wrote that because if you were next to that bell, they would both be deaf. Well, that's not when they get together. They get together. Later, but the bell tower part I'm just talking yes, about. There's yes. a scene where they're both in the bell tower and Stand- he's ringing the bell. Standing right next to I'm sorry, you would be deaf. Yeah. Because um, I can't remember what, but he's crying. It's it's after Kennedy was shot. And <gasps> yes. I can't. I, I, I was not alive when Kennedy was shot. Mm-hmm. I was alive when Reagan was shot. And I can't imagine crying over it. No, I think back then, because he was, I've, I've just seen many movies where they show a, 
I mean, women definitely crying, but I've seen him where they show men crying too. I think he was the symbol of hope and, you know, like a new kind of way of being. Okay. Well, he, he was famously the first Catholic president and they, we established that Joe and the nuns were Catholics. So maybe they took it closer, but it's a politician. Maybe back then we we didn't realize what they were like, I guess, but yeah, you have um, to take your own feelings of politics out of it to understand where Joe was at. I would argue that there were other people at that time who were aware of what politicians are like, but for the, for the movie by the premise, by the bit, the, the people who weren't like cut up about it, we didn't see in the scene. That's fine. But, it was just to me it was a little bit odd that he was that choked up over it so i had made a note that was he playing up that as no. an opportunity to get some some love and affection from Winona Ryder i don't think so okay i loved the beautiful scenery with the fall leaves that the bulk of this film was taken in it was right. filmed October? in massachusetts oh. And Big Lake, Texas, and Rhode Island. So that goes with all of the beautiful fall leaves that were abound. And they there uh, several times we have a shot where they use the mirrored pond surface mm-hmm. to to uh, to show the, the the leaves as well. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous work there. This movie has a great soundtrack. Johnny Angel, Fever, Big Girls Don't Cry, It's in His Kiss, Just One Look, Get the Girl to Marry You. And it's just really a fun um, addition to put you in that 60s era. And then at the very end, when you see them all dancing in the kitchen while the credit rolls, it just, I loved the soundtrack of this film. So I made a note that I think it was period correct. They were in costumes for New Year's Eve. When did we stop doing that? I never did that. I, I mean, felt like that was 50s and 60s. That was a thing. Oh, I don't know. I've never uh, seen it before. I just assumed it was this person loved dressing up. I mean, I was always a on my couch with Dick Clark kind of girl. So... I never really went to a party. Maybe that was only in the movies, but I feel like we saw that in that era. It was costume party for New Year's Eve. Maybe it was like, were you supposed to dress in like who you wanted to? Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to do some research on that and see if I can figure out the story on that. Get back to me before I write these show notes. Right, right. (laughs) Or again, people who know things about costumes who are listening to the podcast could also write, text, email. Carrie Pigeon, let us know. Let us know you're out there. By the way, I'm just going to take this moment. Thank you so much to our fans in Japan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Konnichiwa. And thank you to our new Israeli fans. We are hitting the charts in Israel and it is so exciting to me. So thank you to all of you who are listening in Israel. Shalom. Was there any head trauma? Uh, Yes, I made note of... Uh, Charlotte faints due to low blood sugar and she falls at 50 minutes. I think uh, it's safe to assume there's some head head bump there. And then Mrs. Flax slaps her quite hard at one hour 37. Yeah, she does. She really lays into her. So that's that's my listed head trauma. Poor Charlotte. Okay, how about a smoochie? Do we get a Bob Hoskins share kiss? Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie.
Holy cow, I made no no notes. Yes, we did, of course, get some kisses there. I don't know. And then I, I know Charlotte kissed Joe. Yeah, yeah, in the bell tower. Yeah. And, well, she kissed him once because he does kind of pull away. I don't know if it was when they were fishing. He does kind of pull away. But then maybe kisses her back. But then definitely when, after yeah. Kennedy dies, they kiss and they do a little bit A little bit, bit more. more, yeah. I think that's why I didn't make a note of it. I was a little You were put out. off. Yeah. Okay, how about a driving review? I know you're going to want to talk about this. So, lots of gorgeous cars in this film. So, tip of the cap to the automotive folks in the art department. You did a great job. Mrs. Flax is driving a 1957 Chevy 210 Townsman. This is just a few years old at the time because it was set in 63. And so I'm curious how a woman who keeps moving from place to place could afford that car. And it looks like it's lavender, mm. which is, I di- don't know if GM had a lavender color scheme, but that's what it looked like. The picture of Charlotte's father, he's actually sitting on the front of a 1950 Dodge Wayfarer. That's the only one of ours that made this film. I, I think it's hilarious that Joe drives this school bus and it's an international harvester, not a bluebird. Mm. Uh, so apparently at that time, international harvester still was strong in the bus market. Yeah, maybe bluebird came later. He drives, Joe drives for his own purposes, a 55 Ford F-350. That was uh, an interesting choice because at one point, Mrs. Flax, they talk about somebody and she says, why would I talk to him? He drives an Edsel for Christ's sakes. So, obviously, uh, Mrs. Flax is not a fan of the Ford Motor Company. It's interesting. I said, don't put a snapshot over the gauges in your vehicle. No. So, it's, it's nice to put a picture on the dash, I guess. That seemed maybe you used to do that back in the day. But not over your gauges. You need to be able to see those. And then lastly, if we didn't love... Lou enough already. He has a really nice black 56 Packard Patrician. That was a nice car he drove. I, 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 so tip of the cap to Lou. Good job, buddy. <laughs> Good job, Lou. All right. I'm going to interrupt going to the numbers just really quick to give you an update. Michael Shuffling is best known as Jake Ryan, the hot guy who is standing next to the red Corvette. Porsche. Oh, the red Porsche in 16 Candles. So he was in 16 Candles in 84. In 85, in 85, he was in Vision Quest. And he did really good in Vision Quest because he was a wrestler in high school. In fact, they had to tell him to tone it down. You're hurting Cusack? (laughs) Or no, Modine. Yeah, Yeah, Matthew Modine. He was in a film called Let's Get Harry in 86, The Hitchhiker. Oh, that's a TV series. Um, And then he did Mermaids in 90. And then his last film was Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken in 91. And then he thought he would get it big, which you would think with 16 Candles, Vision Quest, and some of these others, maybe he would have become a leading man. I wonder if part of it was he always kind of, I don't know if he was acting like this, but he seemed very shy. Well, it, so Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken came out in 91, but they maybe filmed it in 90. I wonder if there's a little, a little bit of that 26-year-old with 15-year-old that no, people... No, stop it. So 
<laughs> I wasn't being obnoxious. I was telling the truth. So he just couldn't get the juice in Hollywood. He couldn't get the roles. I mean, if you think about it, this right. is the height of like Top Gun. And if we're doing right. 16 Candles, that's Breakfast Club. And, you know, there's all those movies. And he's just not getting any Hollywood juice. And so he left Hollywood. He got married, had a couple kids, and he lives in the New England area as a furniture maker, just living his best life. He loves making furniture and shies away from mo like doesn't have any social media. Apparently he's seen um, his daughter has posted him in a couple things of her on her social media. But for the most part, he left Hollywood and didn't look back. Well, I'm going to kind of second what you said. I feel like he, uh, he, he was a little stiff in all those roles. He just didn't have the twinkle in the eye. And I, I think this was, you know, when Rob Lowe was out there. So right, it, it would have been hard to compete with that, that kind of, I mean, he had the look. Absolutely. But he didn't really have like the, the, the charisma, the, the animation. Cause I think. he almost reminded me of a Matt Dillon who I never really liked. Very he, much. He always Matt Dillon always played kind of like the jerk. I mean, he's very funny and I've seen him in stuff since. And I feel bad kind of letting his characters bleed onto right. who, how I feel about him as a person. Yeah. Sorry, but, Bradley Cooper. <laughs> but yeah, I guess we all do it. Right. But, uh, so he has a very Matt Dillon look. So I can't believe that. I wonder if he just didn't have like, you know, they would talk about the it factor and the sparkle and the charisma and the, you know, I don't know. He, because yeah. he was in some pretty big films to then just disappear. So bad representation. I'm trying to think uh, whether uh, who's the, the producer for kids stays in the picture, Robert. Oh, something, but, or it was either him or, or Goldman who wrote for princess bride, but they talked about, they said the way, you know, a Hollywood leading lady mm-hmm. is when she walks down the street, she literally stops traffic. They said it's not just a euphemism that the, the people that we know, these big stars, have this one in a million, one in a billion maybe, charisma. They just grab the eye and you can't look away. Right. And he's a good looking guy, but he maybe didn't have that, right? But he just had like this quiet, like both in 16 Candles and this film, women were or I'll just say kind of that shy, quiet guy. You were almost like, okay, what's in there? I got to thump that melon. Oh, I got to know what's going on. I went like, to college with a guy that was like that looked a lot like that too. Quiet, wasn't interested. And there were some gals that it was like moss to flame. They yeah. had to know what's in there. Why are you not interested in me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I find that fascinating because I don't feel that works the other way around. I think if a gal is like, like they're like, oh, she's a cold fish. I want no part of that. She's yeah. not interesting. But yeah, so maybe in person people were chasing him, but just on screen. And, and like you said, it's maybe not his fault. Was he given that direction? Right. And right. that was just kind of the role. But then, yeah, he was just like, uh, I will, we'll no have fun. to We'll have to get Vision Quest into the rotation to see if his character in that, because I feel like in Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken, he's going to be that quiet one again but i feel like in vision quest like if he was hurting people maybe his character was a little more alive (laughs) so 
Cusack's a kickboxer in which film? It's of that era. There's one of those. Is, is it? It's not say anything, is it? John Cusack, I, I, oh, I he's know. into kickboxing in some film of that era. I bet we could come up with a bunch of those like sports themed. <laughs> like, there's got to be another couple we could fill out a month with those. Well, Shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. So I love this. Um, I said that the budget for mermaids was 20 mermaids. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm at 20 million. Well, I like it. How many mermaids is this film going to cost me? It's two million mermaids, boss. And it made 35 million. So if you add in marketing. 15 million uh, or 15 mermaids of profit. Yeah. <laughs> and adjusted for today, that'd be like 76 million. It got a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Critics gave it 72% and audiences liked it a little bit more than that. 75%. It is just under two hours at an hour and 50 minutes. 50, five, zero. It was is rated PG-13 and is listed as a comedy, drama, romance. It comes from Orion Pictures. And Christina Ricci won that year for the Best Actress in a Supporting Role in a Motion Picture at the Young Artists Awards. And Winona Ryder won for Best Supporting Actress that year. This film did not feel long. At an hour 50, I wouldn't have thought it was actually that long. Mm -hmm. And I like this much better than Terms of Endearment. So isn't that fascinating? Worse IMDb score, liked it better. A lot better. Yeah, I know. It was 10 points less almost than, than Terms. I think this one definitely gets overlooked. I don't know if it was because it was the 90s. I, I, I don't know. Or just people just didn't respond like it wasn't as dramatic nobody died right i mean maybe frank oz is like see you should have killed off charlotte <laughs> killed off charlotte you want to put butts in seats well, i'm glad we kept winona yeah good job richard benjamin we approve yeah it's funny every time you say that i think i'm thinking of richard belzer is that a comedian no i'll have to show you a picture because yeah. i or did i because i think you would recognize him he was like a character he was in things too but yeah. he, well and so was frank oz he was in knives out even so yes yeah, yes yeah. alrighty that does it for this week this is your second clue so terms of endearment mermaids what is the theme and this is a theme what is the theme for <laughs> July let us know look in this in the show notes for how to let us know but never forget dodges never stop and neither do the movies thanks for listening to dodge movie podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions to find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 